This is Anshu Bahanda on Wellness Curated. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. My mission is to empower you with health and wellness so that you can then go and empower others. Today we're discussing how to prepare for death and dying. But I'd like to start with a quote from Steve Jobs, co-founder of Apple, who totally transformed communication technology, an entrepreneur and innovator who passed away in 2011. He said, death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. It is life's changer agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. In our last episode, we discussed death spiritual aspects with Sadhvi Bhagwati Saraswati. And we're continuing to explore the theme with Dr. Sarah Holmes. Here's something that really stayed with me. Listen to this. A very wise man once told me that death was a bit like the sun, that you know it's there and it's there all the time, but you don't have to sit and look at it all the time. But sometimes it is important to look at it and to see the beautiful sunset or to see the beautiful sunrise. So actually facing death and thinking about it and talking about it can be a really helpful, positive thing. And whilst it might bring up emotion at that moment, you can then move on and do Mm -hmm. the beautiful bit of living without having to think about death or the sun being there all the time. So with me is Dr. Sarah Holmes, a consultant in palliative medicine and medical director of Marie Curie Hospice Bradford, UK. She's worked extensively in end-of-life care and is here to share her insights and knowledge with us. So you've had decades of experience in palliative care. What is the most important way in which people can prepare for the end-of-life of their loved ones and of themselves? The most important thing is to think about it and talk about it. I think sometimes we find thinking about it or or speaking about it difficult because I suspect people think that sometimes that might hasten your own death. But actually preparing for it, talking about it, doesn't make it happen any sooner but it does make sure that it's as good as it possibly can be. At Marie Curie, we've had a campaign to talk about life's questions so that we make sure that we know what matters to people and that people are talking about these things with their friends and family. That's amazing that you have this campaign at Marie Curie because that's the precise reason we're doing these two podcasts on death and dying, because people don't want to talk about it. But we all have to face it for ourselves, for our loved ones. It's one of the definites, isn't it? I think death and change. Absolutely. And I think what I see from the other side sometimes is is those situations where people haven't talked about it. And then the impact on family that are left behind when they don't know what that their loved one would have wanted, trying to do the things that are important to them at a funeral, for example, and not knowing what the person who died would have wanted. But equally for ourselves, if somebody dies, 
and and we then live on and have regret about opportunities missed or things left unsaid that can have a huge impact on us for the rest of our lives whereas if we done and said what we wanted to do it can make a huge difference i wanted to ask you so with your experience of course you know you probably see people leaving the planet every day in terms of making the life of those left behind easier do you have a list of things that you gently try and advise people to cover not a list so much although i do have things that i carry in my head that from experience i know people might find difficult afterwards so i think there are some really practical things i think the key thing here is what matters most to you as a person and what matters most to those people you're connected with okay are there particular things that you want to happen to you when you die you know do you want a, a particular sort of funeral or do you not not mind is there music that you want played uh, do you have particular views about where it is whether you're buried or cremated really really simple practical things for after you've gone i think the other thing that i see and i hear about being difficult is is sort of life's practicalities you know we're talking to each other over over the internet and you know i have so many different things that i have different passwords for yes making sure that family or loved ones know what your passwords are or what where your accounts are so that practical things like that are easier to sort out afterwards mm-hmm. there's also just the practicality of your own care are there things mm-hmm. that matter to you or things that you wouldn't want to happen for you as you're dying as you're approaching the end of your life i i joke to um to the nurses on the ward here i'm a terrible chocoholic and i can smell chocolate at 50 paces and i i say to them when i get to the end of my life will you make sure that i can have a little cube of of chocolate don't be bring me big meals i just want a cube of chocolate little things like that other things that matter to you or or bigger things other people that you want to have around you or is a particular place you want to be okay and then i think the other thing apart from practical that stuff is is emotionally planning whenever we die we leave people behind and are there particular plans or things that you want to say to those people before you die um what i see people doing quite a lot is making memory boxes or you know if mm. you have children it feels really sad to talk about but if you have children and you're not going to see certain life events do you want to write a card in advance or or mm-hmm. or a present or something in advance for when they get to their wedding so that you you are still there as part of that wedding even though you've you've died okay what about something like wills absolutely planning for that things you want to give away the other thing is making sure that people know your wishes so if you get mm-hmm. to a point where you're not able to communicate your wishes have you got those written down in in a legal form in the UK we have something called lasting power of attorney but i'm sure it's it's different all around the world but that so that somebody uh, who knows you well and who knows what you want can talk for you and say yes although and she isn't able to tell us what she wants this is the care that she would have wanted or she wouldn't want this to happen to her it's interesting actually you're talking about food My kids think I'm crazy because I keep telling them that the last meal I want is tiramisu the last thing I uh. want to be fed and they're always <laughs> laughing and saying mom you're crazy 
but I just want to make sure everyone knows that I want tiramis as my last, last thing when I'm leaving the planet. You know, I've talked to my children yeah. as well. And actually, those conversations are lovely. In terms of quality of life, how can we ensure that people have a good end of life? And that, I think, is what also makes people so fearful about talking about mm. life and leaving this planet and dying is because there are all these stories about a really sad end of life where someone is, mm. you know, not being able to do anything for themselves. They've been bedridden. Some people are in coma for ages. So can you g- give us some suggestions on that? It comes back to talking about things, and you? Knowing in advance and talking to the health professionals or the professionals that are looking after you about what matters most to you and what's most important to you. The other thing is is reaching out for help. Okay. Certainly in the UK, in Marie Curie, we're here to try and support as many people as possible, have as good an end of life experience as possible. We don't see death as much as we used to. Um, You know, it's often tucked away in hospitals. So people aren't used to what is normal and what, what happens as part of normal death. And I think asking those questions, not being afraid to ask, asking for help, there is somebody there that, that can help you. And health professionals looking after you can help plan to make sure that symptoms, so things, pain or sickness or whatever particular thing might be troubling you, can be controlled. So I don't think people should expect that death should be a difficult or painful experience. My job and the job of of palliative care professionals around the world is to make sure that people are comfortable and pain-free and that actually people spend their time living a good life right up until that very short point that they die at the end. I heard this uh, this story the other day. Well, it's not a story. It's a true story. But a friend of mine told me about one of his friends who was terminally ill and he didn't Mm. want to go through the pain. So he chose to fly to Switzerland, I think, mm. to end, end his life, euthanasia. And I think he was having a celebration where all his friends came, you know, to say goodbye to him. Do you hear about something like that often? One of the challenges is that people are afraid of the unknown. So we only die once, don't we? And we hear those stories about difficult deaths. In my experience, seeing death, day in, day out. Death is not a difficult, painful, unpleasant experience. That's why I'm in the job, to make it comfortable and easy. And I think when people access the palliative care and support that they need, death isn't something to be afraid of. And in terms of a celebration, do you think that's a good thing to get everyone under one roof? I think that's brilliant. You get married and you you die, don't you? And I think sometimes weddings are the time when you have all those people around you that you love and are important to you. And then the next time that that happens sometimes is at your funeral when you're not there. Yeah. And yeah. I, I had a number of people that I've looked after that have said, actually, I don't want to wait to my wake mm. for all these people to be together. I'd like to be at my own wake um, so they've Great. had a celebration before they've died so that they can say the things they want to say. And it's been a really positive experience. That's lovely, actually. That's something I will remember for sure. This is Anshu Bahanda. 
You can find our podcast Wellness Curated on Apple, Spotify and a host of other channels. So I sort of live in the West. I live in London and mm. I go back. I'm from India. I grew up in India, so I go back mm. a lot to India. I find that the East and the West deal with death very differently. Tell me, do you think spirituality helps at a time like this? Yes, absolutely. And I'd, I'd be really interested to hear in those differences, actually, Anshu. But I think spirituality is hugely important. And I think sometimes people misinterpret spirituality as just religion. But spirituality is, is more than that. It may be religion. It may be faith for some people. But for others... Uh, it isn't a sort of defined religion and it's it's more about beliefs and feelings and fears and hopes that are really important to that person. Everybody has a spirituality and I think that's one of the, the, the beautiful things about when palliative care and end-of-life care goes really well. It looks at that whole person and the spiritual nature of that person, not just their physical being. What are those differences that you see between the East and the West? In Hinduism, people believe that maybe I'm saying East and West sort of more generically, but now with so much yoga being practiced, I found a lot of Mm. people in the West also believe in karma. But we believe that the soul carries on, that the soul Mm. doesn't die. It's just the body that dies. And when your consciousness leaves or your soul leaves Mm. and that carries on. So in a way, people don't think it's a final ending. And there's always that hope that there is more and it's just a small part of a much bigger journey. And I'm finding that a lot more people in the West who are getting involved with things like things like yoga and meditation are thinking along those lines. And I mean, a lot of people would have read this book by Brian Weiss called Many Lives, Many Masters. I remember reading it at 13, where he talks about after-death experiences from his clients. And that kind of thing where people have had a near-death experience and then come back. So they've been clinically declared dead. And then they're back. I don't know if you've ever seen something like that. But their stories from different parts of the world, different settings, people who never met, seem to have matched. I, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that with one of your patients. I've had a, a, a couple of patients who've talked to me uh, who've been unwell for some time and might have, have been successfully resuscitated after a cardiac event. They've had differing experiences of that. But it, it's really interesting hearing about that continuing sort of going on and sort of um, how comforting that is really rather than the the finality. I believe that the contribution that we make now in the present lives on once we're gone and in that way we continue to live on because of the impact that we've had on, on other people and that's my spirituality I think. That's lovely. That is incredible. I mean, that takes me into this whole concept and idea of karma, where Mm. what you do shapes the future. So even you're saying that's what lives on what you've done. 
But if I take it into the Hindu and the Buddhist philosophies, it's what you do that's shaped the future. The thing I wanted to ask you next was when someone knows that they've got, say, two, three weeks to live, what have you seen that matters the most to them? What tends to matter most to people is, you know, being with the people that are important to them and looking after those people. Often those connections seem to be the thing that that hold on. But, but other people will have different, you know, we've talked about chocolate and food for you and I. <laughs> other people have, have other things. So for some people, uh, the place where they are really matters. Um, I've looked after some people that have spent a lifetime working outdoors. And so dying in a room in a building doesn't feel right for them. They want to see the sky and be outside, and that's mm. been really important. So I, I think the key is finding out for that particular person what matters for them. And I can hear that you're again and again you've said, have a conversation, find out. Mm. Even if it, you know, whether it's someone else, whether it's yourself, kind of make sure you express what you're feeling, what you want. So talk about it, deal with it. As we've said, it's, it sometimes feels hard and painful to do. But as you've touched on, death is there for us all. We, we can't escape that. It's, it's a sure thing. So to make sure that it's as good as possible, you know, not talking about it is just avoiding that. Some, a very wise man once told me that death was a bit like the sun, that you know it's there and it's there all the time. But you don't have to sit and look at it all the time. But sometimes it is important to look at it and to see the beautiful sunset or to see the beautiful sunrise. So actually facing death and thinking about it and talking about it can be a really helpful, positive thing. And whilst it might bring up emotion at that moment, you can then move on and do Mm-hmm. the beautiful bit of living without having to think about death or the sun being there all the time. You know, what you're saying very nicely leads on to the circle of life. And mm-hmm. as Steve Jobs says, making way for the new, you know, for one generation to go means that there's place on the earth for the next generation to come. Do you know, it's uncanny how often I see that, how somebody might be waiting for the birth of a grandchild and, mm-hmm. and as that grandchild is born, the person will then die. It's strange how often that circle seems to connect. When we talk to people about death, or even for ourselves, how can we make it more positive? Can you give us some tips or pointers? There's huge amounts of grief that we have to deal with, and especially if you lose a loved one. But how can we make it more positive? I know it sounds simple, but talking about it and bringing that up earlier can be more positive. Okay. It's quite difficult to do when you're facing death very immediately because there is all that pain of grief and loss. You and I have both talked about talking to our children. And, you know, I've had conversations around the dinner table in quite a positive way about where I might want my ashes to be scattered when I've died. And the children have talked about it. And that's been easier for us to do, I think, because we're not facing death right in the here and now. 
I think the other thing is you don't have to have the whole conversation all at once. You can have bite-sized conversations. You can, you know, evolve the information that you know and talk about it in, in small chunks. And then if it's too much or if you've talked enough, stop and move on and do something nice in between. Okay. Sometimes these bigger conversations, when you're trying to bring them up, sort of with own family members, not me as a professional, doing them when you're not face to face. So side by side on a walk, perhaps, or side by side in in a car journey. Sometimes that feels less challenging than when you're Mm. sort of face to face. And to talk about the, the positive stuff, you know, how you're going to make the most of living. What are the important things that you really want to do in life? So that when you do die, you've done everything and said everything that you wanted to. That is very good advice. Because if we talk about death and we're aware that we're all going to die, right? I mean, of course, we're all aware somewhere. But if we're consciously aware, Mm. then you do make an effort to do certain things in your life. Living in the moment. Living in the moment, exactly. In the now. Yes. Making the most of every moment. Uh, which is actually a huge, le- for me, that's a huge lesson in spirituality, just learning to live in the moment. If, you can, if we can live in the moment, I mean, you don't need anything else. But the one thing I wanted to ask you for some advice on was untimely death. Mm. So sometimes someone, say a parent just loses a child, and then there is an untimely way of going. And that leaves everyone around totally devastated so say you know a young teenager is gone the injustice of an untimely death just makes it so much more painful and difficult to bear doesn't it sometimes those untimely deaths mean that we don't have time to plan but I think it's coming back again to if there is warning even though the death may end up being untimely, you know, somebody dying, you know, as a young adult, having those conversations and planning so that when you look back, you can know that you did everything that you wanted to do. And you can know that the person had everything that they wanted, all their needs met, so that you can feel, despite the pain, you have positive things to look back on And you don't have the regrets of if only and what if, so that you can cope with that less painfully, perhaps, because there isn't an easy way to deal with untimely death. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I see that people find difficult to deal with in bereavement and after death is when friends and family don't speak that person's name and don't say anything. So continuing to have that person who's died they are always going to be a part of your life, even though they've gone and continuing to talk about them and uh, acknowledge them. And also, I think, like you said, if we talk to people and get help on the guilt, because we all feel, could we have done something differently? Could we have done something more to prevent that? So that's always when there's an untimely death, there's always this big looming cloud about that. And guilt is an incredibly heavy weight to carry around with you isn't it speaking about things and as they're happening whenever you can everything is okay to talk about and in my experience 
stuff is a lot easier to deal with when you've spoken about it and got it out into the open air. Weights are suddenly easier to carry when you've shared what you're feeling with somebody else and they help you carry it. It's when you're trying to carry it alone without telling anybody that that's when it feels really difficult. So I lost my father when I was 14. And it took me a long time to deal with the grief, a really Mm -hmm. long time. But today I can use his life as an inspiration. He was a hugely inspiring person. He was a pioneer of things and he was very creative. So I use his life today to inspire me, but it took a long time to get here. Yes, and I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you. And, you know, I hope that that people will be able to get the support that they need earlier. That That's certainly something that we at Marie Curie feel is very important, that people get the support leading up to their own death. But also then we're here to support people after somebody has died in their bereavement as well, so that they can get on with living as well. Any last words of advice, Dr. Sarah? Make those connections and talk to people, ask questions and let people know what matters most to you. Think about that for yourself, for the future and for your family. It's not as bad as you expect talking about it. That won't make death happen. But what it will make sure that it happens is that when you do eventually die, your death will be a a better one and a good one. Beautiful words of advice, Dr. Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the Wellness Curated podcast. Please subscribe and tell your friends and family about it. And here's to you leading your best life.